Hi, I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the Mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hi, Pod. Welcome to the season finale of season three. I could not even say, believe that I'm saying it because I feel like we just started yesterday, <laughs> but here yes. we are. Uh, we have taken some breaks because things have gotten crazy in our lives. And so before we jump in on some topics, I wanted to just do a quick check-in. How have you been, Aisha? Well, I will say I, I am overwhelmed and I think that it's going to be a natural kind of point of overwhelm that most SMCs will, will reach, right? It's the transition into school and not just school that's like kindergarten school. This is schools where there is an intersection of your kid's personality, your parenting style, the school, the administration, and all that that entails, as well as other people's children influencing <laughs> your kid. And so I think it's like all things, you know, align. And it seems to be <laughs> happening with the second grade, because I think that that's where the ante gets raised in terms of academics, behavior, and social dynamics. And I've got it all. And on top of that, then I've got two kids at two stages developmentally. I'm also thinking about, you know, career choice and career options. think that there is a lot that is going on right now in this period that is just causing a peaked type of anxiety. But one great thing that came out of this is that I found a therapist. And so now I've had two sessions with a therapist. And so I think that that's going to help because without having a second parent, there's not a whole lot of strategizing that you can do with yourself because sometimes Mm -hmm. you might be the problem and having a single perspective is not always going to help you, but kind of having a safe space to talk through, to vent and to get um, solutions and coping tools and mechanisms, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, is going to be a great help. And so I a hundred percent support the therapist idea. I had to recently find one myself. I mean, I've been in therapy for like at least a decade, right? At like mm-hmm. on and off points. But I think th- something I really realized recently, and, and this is like coinciding with my move back to the DC area, I really needed a black therapist. Uh, and they are hard to come by, right? But I think for me, not that a white therapist can't be helpful. I think I definitely got use out of meeting with them, depending on what it was that I wanted to talk about. But for me recently, I've been kind of trying to work through some previous work trauma and some things that are very tied up in identity. 
And Mm -hmm. you're paying a therapist to help you, right? So I was getting to the point with my white therapist where I was like, I don't want to pay you to then have to sit here and spend most of my session explaining to you what a microaggression is and Mm -hmm. all these other things. And then at the end of the session, I'm like, I just paid $200 to educate you. Like, no, thank you. So I really do appreciate the fact that I found a black woman therapist who is very good. And, and yeah, it's very validating to hear what she has to say, but then she also challenges me too. Like, you know, she'll ask me questions like when was the last time you were happy with X, Y, Z. And she'll really challenge me to think about what it is or a particular life choice that I've made that like, maybe I hadn't considered. So I am also dealing with an interesting transition. And I think we hear a lot in SMC communities about the transition of going from like having no kids to having kids. And I think sometimes people think that that's like the biggest transition in your life and that somehow like the transitions end. And yes, it is a very big transition. Don't get me wrong. But I think one thing that I am experiencing right now, having children who are five years age difference is that as one of my kids is transitioning to this new stage of like, different type of schooling. Like, you know, like you said, Aisha, like the, the, the friend dynamics. And I mean, think about it, like for the last two years, like we haven't really had this type of schooling. So I feel like it should have been maybe a little bit more gradual because, you know, like the kids grow up, but it's like all of a sudden kids are back in person. So all the things that we didn't really have to deal with the same way when they were learning from home, we're Mm -hmm. getting like this weird crash course in it all at once. And also, you know, the kids are like different socially and just trying to deal with each other again, having not had that experience for the last two years. And then the toddler. So discussing this a little bit earlier about how every kid is different. So I'm dealing with differences personality wise with my toddler than I did with my older one. But some of it, I'm wondering if it's somewhat related to the fact that she does not remember pre-pandemic. And so, for example, we just got back from a trip and I noticed that my oldest has always been pretty cool with travel. I mean, she always gets to the point in the travel where she kind of melts down. Every kid does, but she's still pretty cool about like new experiences. Whereas my toddler, she shuts down. Like she has moments where it's like too much stimulation. And I know some of that is very age specific because she's three. But then I also wonder, I mean, here's, I notice things about her where like the, the mailman will come to her house and she will instinctively retreat six feet, right? <laughs> like that's uh-huh. not normal. They know six right? feet by, right. by sense, so, right? <laughs> exactly. So like, it's one of those things where like, even just the anxiety she has going into school. And I think part of it is because she's going into school later than my oldest did. And so she's built up these anxieties that are very tied to the pandemic in addition to her personality. I will, I will, I will agree with you. I think some research out there that's starting to come out is starting to say that our neural pathways have been changed by the pandemic, right? It could be similar to the way we have trauma responses and how that changes us, you know, at a, a molecular level, things like that. I am also seeing some, some signs in my um, almost three-year-old that, you know, pandemic life could be, you know, playing a factor. And I think I try to separate out what is developmentally appropriate and what is not. And so we have recently opened back up our preschool classroom and parents are allowed in to take their kids in with masks. Prior to this past um, two weeks, we would drop the kids off at the door. Administration will take a group of kids to their class. So now 
I have a two-year-old who is super independent. I can do everything. She can put her pants on backwards. She can put her shoes on the wrong (laughs) feet. She can do everything herself, which I love. Mm -hmm. And how this now plays in is that when I drop her off at school, I get ready to walk her in and she has a meltdown because that's not how we do things. Mm -hmm. Mommy stays outside. I will walk in. And so then she calls the administrator to come get her. So, you know, so that is pandemic. Behavior, Are they cool right? that though? I mean, I know as yeah. a parent, like I enjoy going in and I still have not seen my toddler's classroom, which is actually oddly a source of anxiety for me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're totally cool with it because she knows them. She, she calls their names. Mm-hmm. How could you not when a three-year-old is like, Melissa, Melissa, oh. <laughs> come, come get me. And I'm just like, she's like, mommy, you stay out. You stay out. And I'm just like, okay. So, but I do think that there are just certain things that they're going to have to unlearn, you know, from the pandemic and, you know, mommy's going to eventually walk you to class and, but you're still going to be independent. I will come in with you and you can walk on your own. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I mean, both of us have had the experience of going through this stage pre-pandemic. And so uh, I think many parents for whom this is your first child might be like, this is, I mean, this is all, you know, as a parent too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's, it's an interesting time. And I think for me, I have had to be very conscious of my own frustrations. Um, cause I know for me, like on vacation, I would get super frustrated cause I'm like, come on, he's a rally, <laughs> you know, and right, she's like, right. no, like I want to go back to the hotel and like, you know, watch television or do something. And so I had to really kind of like change my expectations for how much we were able to do because there were points in the vacation where I was like, okay, I have to give this kid a break. Like she's, she's overstimulated and it is going to ruin everyone's experience if we don't slow down for a minute and let the toddler have a moment. Now I will tell you that they don't call them three agers for nothing, right? So I've actually lived with teenagers who require a tremendous amount of sleep. And I don't know if you've seen this with your three-year-old, but mine will get up in the morning on a school day and will brush her teeth and be like, I'm sleepy and go back to bed, fully in the bed, put the blankets over her head and will, if I leave her, go back to sleep. And I'm just like, no, but that, that is total teenage behavior. So I wonder to what extent, like, I didn't have that with my first. So this is my first experience with a kid who actually wants to go to bed. And she has actually put herself down for a nap probably two or three times where I was just yeah. like, where is she? And I will go and look. She got in the bed under the covers, took off her socks and went to sleep. And it's just like, oh, but see, I wonder if that's like a, a form of just like being in a safe place for them as well. Right. Cause I mm-hmm. also did not experience that with my oldest. She still gets out of bed with a smile on her face and is like ready to go. Right. Whereas my toddler is like in the morning time, I have to, I have to remind her at nighttime when she doesn't want to go to bed. I'm like, look, remember how comfy your bed was this morning and how you didn't want to get out of bed? Like, mm-hmm. let's go back to bed now. Cause now's the time. But in the morning, like she will be a full on grouch, like to the point where I know that during teenage years, like me and her older sister are just going to have to like put the food at the door and retreat <laughs> and be like, your breakfast is ready. Please don't bite us. <laughs> a pod, you know, chime in, let us know, are you seeing similar behaviors with your three-year-old, you know, the wanting to go back to bed? I know we'll see hyper-independence, but are you also seeing some pandemic differences if you've got more than one? 
All right. So let's shift gears a little bit to summer. I know there's a lot of things about parenting that sort of surprised me. Just you know, cost I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And one of the really interesting surprises was that when your kids are old enough for like real summer camp, one, how early you have to actually get on this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and two, like there are so many different options. So Aisha, what are you doing with regards to summer camp this summer for your kids? So we'll say, I mean, the lull in summer camp, you know, from the pandemic, this was a bit of a shocker because, I, you know, I see all the flyers come in and I'm just like, and I, in my area, you know, it's competitive, but there are tons of options. So not super competitive. So if you miss like January, mm-hmm. I started looking in March. And so it's just like, yeah, maybe one or two of the camps that I, I wanted, she was not able to get into, but we're but breaking still early. Okay. Like March, April, May, June, like that's still like early. Maybe I'm just unrealistic, but like, dang. <laughs> like, no, no. It, I, I think it is still early, but I think we have a lot to juggle right in this summer month, especially when you have school age kids, because that's the time where you could do vacations without being penalized. Mm-hmm. And so the way, like I mapped out our summer based on well, we're taking vacations. I have two summer birthdays that I have to fit in there as well. And so it, it was like a, a, a Tetris mm-hmm. doing, you know, the video game, trying to do my schedule. So I found, you know, we're, we're Girl Scouts. And so Girl Scouts had some really good discounts, you know, for, for child care. So um, for day, summer camp. So we managed to get a week. Um, that work with our schedule because I still have to do pick up and drop off for the little one too. So I'm not going to be spending all afternoon in the car. So I ended up getting a few weeks at Y, got the Girl Scouts camp. We got a couple of vacations built in there. We have um, some swim stuff. So we ended up doing in a farm camp. So we ended up doing a hodgepodge. So we used the Y, we used Girl Scouts, and then we used kind of like our national park system system here um, in um, Virginia to see what they had to offer as well, just to try to give her different experiences throughout the summer. Um, So that's how we approached it. But it was running, the price range was running between like 160 for the Girl Scout camps all the way up to like three uh, 285 for some of the more the cooking and the more intricate Y based camps. And then it was also jarring to find like some of them were like, we're done at three. I'm not. Yeah. So that's another thing. Like I would say, I would say the, the visual of Tetris is so accurate and I have had a really hard time with just you know, it's like, these are like weeks at a time, right? So Mm -hmm. you might be able to get like one week here and then it's sold out the next week. So you can't keep them in the same camp. And you're like, okay, let me find another. And so I ended up getting this whiteboard for my kitchen (laughs) where we put up, like, you know, if we run out of something, the kids really like to eat, I'll like, you know, make a note on the whiteboard so that when I'm going to the grocery store, but it's also where I keep, you know, really a calendar, like week one, summer camp, this one, week two, this one. Cause otherwise I'm sitting here going like, where are they going this week? Like what, you know, and then there's different times and then there's you might forget to pick somebody up. Exactly. Or like you'd send them to the wrong camp on Monday and you're like, oh crap, this is not the right camp this week. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's hard because you also just have yourself to rely on. And I mean, I've been able to leverage my community for some of it, but I think the challenge is you're, you know, the camps over at three, what do you do? Many camps do have like aftercare options. Mm -hmm. 
But then that's another add-on, right? One thing I will say is that like, if you have an FSA in your workplace for um, childcare, camps count. <laughs> so right. even though March is super early to be planning, sometimes you actually have to plan in October or whenever your benefit season is, because you have to be thinking, how much do I anticipate spending on, you know, after school programs that also count and mm -hmm. summer camps, because that also counts and certain after school activities count as well. So like one thing I hadn't considered when I filled out my FSA is like, let's say there's an after school program at your school that does like a sport or like an instrument or something like that, like that actually mm -hmm. counts as aftercare, even though it's also some enriching activity. So mm -hmm. think about those types of things when you go through your benefit scheduling. I know it obviously changes as your kids get older. One thing we also did have to think about this summer is I really wanted to go out of the country and have like a more relaxing trip. And so <laughs> I found a place in Costa Rica that actually had immersion summer camp for the two kids for two weeks, even the toddler for, well, the toddlers is like four hours versus a whole day, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I'm like, this will be amazing in the morning. Like I can either decide to get some work done or just like go take a yoga on the beach or something while the kids are actively engaged in nice. doing things like learning Spanish and going surfing, which will be super fun for them. Yes. I'm still not sure how I'm going to work it out with work. <laughs> but, but yeah, summer is that time where like you can take a longer trip without having to worry about like penalties. And mm -hmm. I know since now lots of, lots of jobs allow remote options. It may also give you the flexibility to go places, even if it's in the U S like, I think one mom said she went to Vermont and there was like a sleepaway camp option. So she mm -hmm. worked from Vermont for a week while her daughter had that experience. So I highly encourage parents to think outside of the box during this time. And don't wait until June because <laughs> things yeah, are actually wait until June. <laughs> much earlier. That said, even at this late stage, if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, hell, what am I going to do? I am sure there are options. It might just be a little bit more of a Tetris game, uh, but mm -hmm. get on that now if you haven't already. So there was some, some topic that I wanted to bring up. So something that's been coming up in our space is the concept of making changes and when's the right time. And so some of the questions that have been coming up, um, Hera have been, you know, do I buy a bigger car in anticipation of having a baby? Do I buy a house? Do I change jobs? You know, do I buy it now or do I wait until I see what the impact is of an extra person in my life? And so what might be the right time to do some of these things? And, you know, Hera, you and I, we, we've kind of hit a lot of these um, intersections in our lives and our careers and things of that nature. How have you handled it and what advice might you give? I think that this question is very similar to the concept of when is the right time to have a baby. And I think we've like kind of tackled this at various points during the Mocha SMC journey, but there really isn't ever going to feel like a perfect time. And I think mm -hmm. some, some people get very paralyzed by the thought of like, oh, my house is not big enough. My car is not big enough. I'm not in the perfect job or and all these things. Right. And you can you can kind of needle yourself to death with like all the things in your life that you feel like are not perfect for a baby. But the reality on the ground is that like life is never going to be perfect and you're never going to, you're never going to feel like there isn't something else you could be doing or you could be kind of upgrading to. So my advice here is like, do not 
get or do not upgrade before you know what your costs are going to be. At least, you know, in my experience, especially with like the bigger purchases, like the car and the house. I mean, people just make the assumption you like need a minivan for kids. Like (laughs) you don't, right? Many people get by with having a smaller car. And I think the interesting thing is like someone really um, said this well in our space the other day where she was like, you know, instead of getting a larger car, why don't you first consider like, you know, car more compact car seat options mm-hmm. uh, because versus like fifteen hundred exactly. 000, so right? like you yeah. might be able to buy a bougie or car seat that is going to work well and be very easy to you know either get at get in and out or swivel or what have you. And the sticker tag on that car seat might be a lot, but adding two hundred three hundred dollars extra a month in a new car payment is going to be much more expensive. So I always encourage people to try to be as minimalist as possible and not assume what you will need. Because once the baby arrives, you may actually realize, wait a second, instead of getting a larger apartment, I actually need something else (laughs) first. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely um, agree with a lot of what you said. And I think I've always been kind of um, money conscious when it came to major purchases. So I don't like to do things in haste. And I think that sometimes when we look at trying to conceive and we look at being a parent, we think in terms of the ideals and children and trying to conceive are the X factors, right? I never anticipated my journey to my second being a three-year journey. And so that meant that I really couldn't do anything. Funds were pretty much tied up until I figured out how this was all going to play out. And so when it came time to upgrading from an apartment into a house, I couldn't do anything. And then based on the child that I had, I couldn't, I still couldn't do anything. So we stayed at the apartment until my baby was about two And that gave me a bit more perspective on what I wanted, what I needed, and when I should move, right? So kind of having that patience to let it all unfold in front of you so that you're making an informed and clear-headed decision because you might have a child who's special needs and you need a Mm -hmm. wheelchair ramp, Mm -hmm. right? You will, you might need that minivan with the open sliding door because you've got a ramp. You just don't know, but we think so much in terms of ideals, Now, I am so glad that I had the age spacing that I have because it gave me an opportunity to see schools, right? So what did I want? What did I need in terms of school options? And then that helped me to figure out where I wanted to buy a home because most people will buy a home. And if you don't have the need to worry about schools or think of schools or think of how you want to parent, you could be buying something and then you're stuck with it Mm -hmm. for a good 10 years and you can't just like, get out of a house as quickly as you can get into one. And so having the space to have that perspective, I think is going to help. And then I was talking to her about a situation that came up with my house. Like you, you don't know what repairs you might need or how you might like to customize your living space. And so I ended up um, the year with a bit of surplus funds and I would encourage SMCs that if you have that chunk of money, like most people will say, I've got the down payment for a house, park mm-hmm. that money, set it aside. It's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's allocated for the house. But should something else come up? So I had some money set aside to pay down debt, right? And so I was going to pay down debt. It was my single-minded focus. But then I needed to get my fence replaced. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I had that money and that perspective to get the fence replaced and not take on more debt. You know, so I was able to move quickly when I needed to. So, yeah. So, yeah, 
I think it's so important. I mean, to what you said earlier about before your child is here, you know, it's going to be a good four or five years before you're going to need the school. Right. And I have had experience where one of the previous houses that I got, I bought in a neighborhood where, you know, the school looked good. It had good ratings. We ended up going there and hating it right? <laughs> for various reasons. And then I was like, oh, snap, I just bought a house in this neighborhood for the school. And so keeping in mind that you, you're going to want to give yourself some time to actually look and see what's what type of child you have. There's certain places where lottery schools might be an option or whatnot. So it may not matter as much where your house is physically located. So yeah, give yourself the option to look around. I will also say I was the type of person who bought way too many strollers. Now bear with me. So like <laughs> I would see a stroller and I'm like, that looks amazing. And then would not realize, especially from going from one to two, like I needed to really give, I, I needed to really like actually take my kids to the store with me and try it out. Mm -hmm. And so I was that person who was constantly like recycling strollers and like selling them at, you know, yard sales and things because mm -hmm. I was buying a stroller without actually considering the children I had. And it was just like, ah, oh, this is not what I need. And so I will, I will be that person, please, 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 before you drop hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a stroller wait, take your child with you to the store, <laughs> set them in the stroller, actually, you know, take the experience of getting in and out. And they're also like with strollers, there are so many secondhand stores that you can go mm -hmm. to and buy a fairly new stroller because there are people like me who have horrible experiences <laughs> of buying one that just does not fit your needs. So yeah, I would say the same thing about the car and the house. Wait, strollers. wait. For Strollers did nothing for me. <laughs> Strollers were, you know, pretty much, you know, something to hang clothes on. I rarely use strollers because by the time those babies can walk, they were walking. <laughs> so so I, I actually got a lot of use out of my jogging strollers because mm -hmm. we live in a city that is fairly walkable. And so, you know, the toddler just can't she can't walk long distances. So we have used our stroller to like walk to a park that's a little further and things like that. I would say like most other strollers, I mean, like I said, you know, the umbrella stroller, completely useless. <laughs> I would rather just like use a baby carrier because you get that thing out on the sidewalk and there's one bump and your kids like flying. Right. So, so yeah, I would, I would wait, see what type of lifestyle you have and, and, and what actually works. I would definitely say one of the, the key core competencies of an SMC is kind of patience, right? And so when we think, we also see this come up like, how should I make career moves, right? Should I make career moves while trying to conceive, before I have a baby, after I have a baby? And again, you just don't know. And so again, I go back to, I don't like to make big changes in haste. And so for me, I waited until I saw who my kid was, who I became, as an SNC before I decided to make, you know, the moves that I made um, career wise. So I would say in that sense, it depends because I do know that like, if you're in a situation where you, you feel as though your current role in your company is not providing enough fertility assistance or also maternity leave. Um, I would say like when my oldest was born, I only got like six weeks. So I ended mm -hmm. up having to take my own time and go leave without paid and had I known that there are a lot of companies that give like several months uh, and just 
so if you're at the stage where you're, you're still trying, it may actually make sense to go to a company that is going to fund that trying (laughs) and also have, um, a very liberal, uh, and generous policy for leave because many companies have many companies will actually allow you to take the leave no matter how long you've been at the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should for sure check that because <laughs> sometimes you have to have been there for a year. Um, and then there are also some companies that actually al- allow you to take leave up until your child is a year, even if they were born before you started at the company. And so, you know, it, again, it's like very dependent on what your situation is, but unless there's a specific reason why you're moving to a company, be it like leave policy or fertility benefits, like it may actually be in your best interest to take a beat and wait. Well, I would definitely say I would have loved to have had an SMC community to bounce ideas off of when I was thinking, right? Because when you're trying, that's also a a critical stage where you don't know what's going to happen. And it's just like, do I stay? Do I go? What happens to my health insurance? Because you don't want to up, upturn that apple cart either and find out, oops, your doctor's not covered and you're yeah. about to sign up for a retrieval and things like that. So, so yeah, definitely. And you also want to keep stress down, right? Like if you're, if you're just like, if you feel like your job's just not sexy, but like, you're not stressed out, <laughs> like it's probably, it's probably okay to stay put, but if your job is causing you a lot of stress, mm-hmm. it may actually be a good time to move when you're thinking about trying, because it is very stressful to go through the process of trying no matter, you know, from, from people who, for whom it doesn't take as long to people who it takes years. It's just a stressful process and can be very hard on your body. So you don't want to be in a place that's going to just be high stress because that could also contribute to the reason you're not getting pregnant. Uh mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would say these are things that are really great to also talk to a therapist about. There's a lot of therapists out there that are really good at kind of helping people navigate where they are in their life and, and whatnot. So that's my recommendation, black therapist all day long. (laughs) I actually found mine through black girls therapy. Me too. Yeah, I got Uh, you sent me the recommendation. I did as well. Some of the places were like, oh, we'll pick a therapist for you. And I'm just like, no, I have real specific needs. Thank Mm -hmm. you. No, it's great. So my, yeah, you can, you can look up who is affiliated with black girls therapy and find people in your area and just reach out to them. And I know for me, it was super helpful. And I also tell people like, if you meet with your therapist and you just feel like there's not a good vibe, it's okay to be like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. Usually they will give you kind of a free consultation to see if it, you know, to see if they can meet your needs. And I've had several conversations with people where I'm like, yeah, this is probably not going to work out. (laughs) So definitely great. So we are taking a hiatus for the summer and we'll be back with regular programming in the fall. You will hear for us, however, for with through bonus episodes over the summer. But what we would love for y'all to do is to follow us on social media at Mocha SMC on Instagram. Send us messages and tell us what do you like about the show? What would you like to see more of? And if there's anything that we have not talked about yet that is burning on your mind, please let us know. And we will try to bring that to you in either bonus content or in the upcoming season. Well, and thank you all for your your support and your continuing to to listen and participate in our community and our spaces. We see you and we thank you. 
Yay. Thank you so much. Happy summer, everyone. Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.